Hi, this is Corey Olson, the Tolkien Professor, and welcome to another Tolkien Chat. Today, I have for you a conversation with Bern Greisinger, the owner and director of the Greisinger Museum. Bernd lives in Switzerland, and he's a Tolkien collector. He collects books, art, movie collectibles. He's got the biggest total collection of Tolkien stuff in the entire world. And now, instead of sitting on his hoard like Smaug with the gathered wealth of uh, the region of Erebor on, you know, for his bed, uh, instead he decided to showcase his collection and make it open to the public. But not only did he do that, he also decided to make the museum in which... He showcases his collection into an immersive Middle-earth experience where each room of the museum recreates a setting from Tolkien's works. He's got Bag End, Minas Tirith, Moria, a bunch of different places. The museum just celebrated its grand opening in the last few weeks here in September of 2013. I was fascinated when I heard about the museum, so I got in touch with Mr. Greisinger to learn more about his project. What follows here in this episode is two things. First, a recording of my chat with Bernd, and second, a a few reflections of my own that were kind of inspired by thinking about the museum and, and about our conversation, thinking about Tolkien and landscape and fantasy and escape and stuff like that. So I give you now my conversation with Bernd Greisinger. Hello, Bernd. Hi, this is Corey Olson. Corey Olson, that's nice. Yeah, nice to meet you. Good to meet you. I'm glad we uh, we got a chance to connect here. I'm uh, excited to uh, talk about the museum and your collection, and I'm sure that my listeners will be really uh, glad to hear about it. I hope so. <laughs> How's everything going, by the way, the, in preparation for the opening? Yeah, I'm, uh, I have much work because in uh, three weeks uh, we will have the opening ceremony event and uh, then uh, all must be finished. So I, every day I have much work at the moment. Yes, I can imagine. Uh, that's very exciting. I really wish I could come. I'm sorry I'm not going to be able to make it there. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not, not nice. <laughs> it would be nice to have you here. Yes, yes, it would be. I am uh, certainly hoping I can make it over there before too long. I know my uh, my family would love to come, so we'll have to see what we can do. I was thinking, as I mentioned on my email, I was thinking, you know, first of asking some, some questions about the collection and the museum and everything so that they can find out more about that. Um, okay, so let me first uh, find your email. Oh, sure. Yeah. So, first question uh, of the collection is, what do you have in the collection? Yes, yes. I was wondering, uh, you know, if, uh, I think people would like to hear what kind I, I, cause my understanding is that this project really began with your private collection, right? It is my, it is my private collection and will be my private collection because the museum will be a foundation, but the foundation will show my collection. Right. Right. So, so, so that will be the construction at the moment. And, uh, yes. So, but it, at the end, it doesn't matter because it's all mine. It's my real estate. I have built the museum. I will be the museum director. So it is all in one hand. <laughs> yeah. So, well, that's great. Well, tell me a little bit more about the collection, about, about yes. how this started. So you, you've been collecting, uh, things for a long time, right? What is long? I collect now eight years. Wow, that's great. That's great. So, w what kinds of things have you been collecting? Yes, uh, we have uh, three parts. One is literature, of course, because all started with the book of or with the books of Tolkien. So we have uh, thousands of books uh, from Tolkien or about Tolkien, 
and also translated editions and versions, variations and very special books, uh, unicates, uh, signed books of Tolkien and, and so on. So a big, a big literature, um, part and, um, it will, it will be the, the, the biggest collection in the world about books of Tolkien. Wow. So we are, at the moment we have more than three thousand, but I, I think uh, we will go over five thousand when we have uh, finished. You cannot say because around the world always we have new editions, new uh, impressions. So uh, collecting goes always on; is not a, uh, not a process that stops. <laughs> Absolutely. So this is a very important part of our museum. Is is a big. Uh, Archive with these many uh, important books. Then the second is uh, the art, the artworks of um, the people, of the artists who were inspired by Tolkien's uh, books and uh, his uh, created world, uh, Middle Earth. And uh, you know, uh, surely about uh, 50 or more artists who produced um, artwork in the last uh, 30, 40 years. Uh, one of the first was uh, Core Block, uh, Pauline Baines, Tim Kirk, and these uh, in the sixties, seventies, as they started. So, and, and uh, in the eighteen nineties, then there came many new artists and uh, artists we know today with Ted Nesmith, with, with uh, Alan Lee, or John Howe, and 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 uh, Roger Garland, and and uh, these guys. Yes. Sure, so sure. I I uh, have I think. The biggest collection in artwork is about 600 originals from uh, un uh, about 100 different artists. So this is a very, um, yeah, a big collection and very expensive <laughs> too. So this is uh, the artwork and uh, artwork that means painting, drawing, sketch, and all of this in this, in this par part. And uh, the, the third part is then uh, collectibles, merchandise, all you can uh, collect, people all around in the world that is anything connected with Tolkien or Middle-earth. Uh, if you go in Internet, you can, you can see what you can buy. That is not literature, not artwork, but other stuff. And there we have uh, thousands, I don't know, different merchandise pieces uh, that you can collect. So it's very huge, the collection. And uh, at the end, it's the biggest collection in the world. Your collection sounds really exciting. And so tell me, when did you have the idea um, to sort of take the collection and turn it into a museum? Was that your thought from the beginning or did that was that something that came later? Um, at the beginning, I was starting uh, collecting some items, and uh, so in 2005, I started to collect uh, many things. I had many boxes uh, in the head of my house uh, under the roof, and uh, when I had uh, 100 boxes full with uh, pieces, I decided that when, when I will build a house, I will need uh, two rooms to show or to uh, exhibit my collection. This was the first idea. But then uh, when I had uh, 400 boxes full with uh, stuff, <laughs> then I thought that two, two rooms will be not enough. And uh, uh, so I have to make a museum, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it's, the problem was uh, the mass of uh, collect collectibles that I had and um, and when I bought more uh, paintings, and paintings are very big, uh, then 
then it was uh, obviously uh, needed to have many walls uh, to show the painting. So uh, I need, uh, yeah, two rooms would be not enough. It must be a museum, yes. Um, so now you were saying that, you know, you wanted more rooms in order to be able to display the collection, which is great. But, uh, you know, from the look of things, you have done a great deal more than just uh, put a bunch of uh, big empty rooms to put the collection in. Uh, you uh, have themed the different rooms around different areas, right? Yeah, that's it. Yes, of course. Um... Um, the, because we have so many pieces, it was, uh, if you make a museum, you, you, you need to, uh, uh, create different rooms for different places because, uh, uh, it makes no sense to have three rooms of uh, Minas Tiris or three rooms of Moria. Uh, so you have to, um, give a widespread, um, um, view of, of the whole story. And so that was the decision for for us to start as all adventures of Lord of the Ring and Hobbit in in Bag End. So right. the, we built the Hobbit Hall with three rooms: uh, kitchen and uh, shower, bathroom, uh, with toilet. So you can live inside our Hobbit Hall. And this is the beginning of of the museum. So the people enter inside the the, the nice, uh, good living uh, hole and uh, feel comfort and uh, want to stay there. But uh, after perhaps 15 or 20 minutes, they have to start the adventure. And then they leave this uh, nice Hobbit Hall and they go, uh, yes, uh, to the museum underground. And then they have the different uh, places uh, of Middle-earth with their creatures with the beasts or evil uh, guys, whatever they find there, like Nazgûls, Balrog, or Troll, Orcs, Urukais, all that we know. So uh, that is the idea of the museum. So you're not only then just displaying the materials, but really trying to give visitors to the museum, you know, a sense of really entering into these places and and being being really immersed uh, in, in 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 all of this stuff, right? Of course, uh, every room that we have is in Middle-earth style. So there is no room that is uh, like modern style uh, the today building. No, it is all in the style of Middle-earth. So if you enter the museum, you you change the world. You 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 will be in Middle-earth, and you if you leave the museum, then you're back in in the daytime, so in the day life. But uh, the museum is totally style in Middle-earth. That sounds really wonderful. Uh, tell us, what's your vision for the museum? Will it be open to the public? Um, yes, it, it is open to the public. Uh, the public can come, but not when the public wants. So uh, <laughs> that means we have no opening uh, time. So you cannot uh, think, I, I go to Yenins and then uh, I, at 9 or 10 uh, on Monday, I will uh, have a look inside. It's not possible. Uh, everyone who wants to visit the museum has to book uh, on our website uh, the day and the time when he wants to come and uh, buy the ticket. Uh, because we have only guided tours. You cannot enter the museum on your own and uh, go through without any guide. So, uh, But we have the guide tour in four different languages, and so I think we, we can, uh, yeah, that many people can understand us and we can have a good talk with them about the Tolkien uh, Middle-earth. Yes, uh, what's all that? Yeah, the people have to book. They can start from 1st October on. And uh, the book booking uh, system will be installed on our website end of August. 
Oh, that's great. I know that a lot of people who are coming to Europe and visiting Europe, I think it's going to be, I'm sure, a major destination for Tolkien fans uh, in in Europe for years to come. It sounds really exciting. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think uh, our... our um, um... Our target is uh, not only for Europe, but uh, also for the whole world to make it to a center. Because uh, I don't know, at the moment we have no other museum worldwide in this um, situation like we have it here. We have in New Zealand uh, um, where the movies were situated with uh, with the landscapes. Um, So this is a part, of course, we have uh, in in England the original uh, places where Tolkien lived and were, were inspired by his homeland. And, uh, but in, in America, I think we have no, uh, nothing like this, uh, that we can say in, in America we have, uh, a center of, uh, Middle Earth at the moment, or? Right. No, not that I know of, certainly. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think it's a, it's a, it's a great opportunity. And I think that, you know, especially, you know, as you were saying about, um, being in Bag End in particular, I know is an experience that a lot of people would be really excited about. I mean, getting to experience many of the other places, I think, is also really great. But I, as I've been particularly drawn to the pictures of Bag End that you have posted on your on your website. Um, mm-hmm. It certainly does look very inviting, very welcoming. And I think that, you know, the idea of being able to go and really sort of you know, feel yourself surrounded uh, by that environment. I think it's going to be something that would be a really special experience for, for Tolkien fans. I think it's really great. Yeah, I think it's true. And uh, when, when you mentioned in New Zealand, you ha- you know the, the the inner parts, they were all uh, uh, done in the studios. So they have uh, once they have the Mata Mata, they have the, um, the, the countryside of, of uh, the Shire. Right. But, but uh, the, the filmmaking of the inside uh, situations uh, was not, was in the studio, so it is not you can not go to Matamata to the Shire and go inside the back end and live there or, or be there. This is only uh, yeah, it's like a fake. You have only right. the outside frames, yeah, the the window, you have the doors, but that's that's it. Yeah, it's very different, you know. And of course, yeah. seeing the films, you get the sense of. You know, you're, you're given the illusion of yeah, being yeah. present there in the building, but of course, that's that's the thing about movie sets, right? They're only ever two dimensional. Yeah. I mean, they're always they're always kind of faces designed to show the camera, some, uh, but they don't have, um, you know, they they don't have all the the back end to them. So, uh, so yeah, to be able to be in a more fully immersive environment like that, I think would would be, uh, you know, it it would be a novelty to be able to see the film set of Bag yeah. End, but it would yeah. be a very different kind of experience to be able to uh, to actually sort of sit back in front of the fire with the kettle just beginning to sing uh, in back mm-hmm. end. That's, that's, uh, that's, that's pretty awesome. Yeah, and, and, and the people who were here the last years, they, they, when they come uh, to, the, to, the, to the Hobbit Hall and uh, enter it in or out and then go to the, um, to the fireplace, or they, they, they don't want to leave. They, 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 they like it. They, they want to stay because it is so incredible. It's so, it's so beautiful. Uh, it's it's uh, perfect. <laughs> I want to live here. Absolutely. And, and, uh, you know, and when Peter, you know Peter Kenny from Australia? I do, yes. Yes. And Peter was uh, last year also here, and he is the Hobbit from Australia. And uh, he 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 told me, Bernd, I want to live here. I want to live in your Hobbit Hall. Uh, it is my Hobbit Hall. I want to live here." 
So it's, it's, and Didn't I, I think, see uh, a picture of Peter on your website in Baghdad. Yeah, that was uh, <laughs> yes. that was uh, what I uh, made for him as a big fan of Tolkien and Middle Earth that he is represented on our website uh, because uh, he had much fun here last oh, year. Oh yeah, that's great. That's great. Well, wonderful. Well, you know, tell me as you're, uh, you know, obviously from you know the way that you have you know, cho- chosen to do this because you know. Many people might have just chosen to use, you know, regular modern style rooms, as you say, to display, you know, artwork or collectibles. Um, but, you know, instead of doing that, you chose to create this museum, which had this really immersive effect. So it seems that, uh, you know, the, these, 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 these places, you know, the, the atmospheres of these locations in Tolkien's stories um, are something that clearly mean a lot to you um, as you have invested so much in, in, in recreating those and, and, and being able to help other people sort of have that experience. What's your favorite location in Tolkien's world? Which is, is, is there a part of Tolkien's world that you are especially attached to? Wow, <laughs> that is a good question. Many, many people ask me always, what is your favorite book? What is your favorite collectible? What is your favorite artwork? And what is your favorite room? So uh, at, at the end, uh, for me, is uh, my, my favorite is all together because I love, I love Middle Earth like it is with these many different places and locations and uh, pieces that can, you can collect. So uh, there, there, for me, I have nothing special, nothing I love most. What I love is my whole collection, my whole museum. It is the, it is the, all together that right, makes right. me so, so lucky and I'm proud of and, um, not a single piece. Yeah, I could give away a single piece of my collection or what else. And, but at the end, it, I would be the same proud as before. Because the whole collection is, is not needed at one important piece is inside or outside the collection. It is all that what I created in a whole in all of all of this. This is that what makes me happy. Absolutely. That's very that's very cool. So so we made every room uh, by heart as uh, as the room should be the best from our view from our uh, look and uh, we try to give every room the best finish. So every room was was it worth to put our heart in inside uh, the creation? Absolutely. So so what did you end up choosing? You end. You have a Mines of Moria room, right? Yes, we have Mines of uh, Moria. We have uh, Wilderland. It's a different uh, facets of the elves of uh, the Anduin River of Rohan that is in the. In the southwest of uh, of Wilderland, and uh, we have uh, the White City of Minas Tirith, and uh, we have uh, Fangorn, of course, uh, the old forest, and uh, we have the room for Smaug because he's very important for the Hobbit. <laughs> uh, we have especially a room only for Smaug. Uh, that is our multimedia cinema room. Then uh, we have uh, little rooms and like one room for Mordor, uh, a dark uh, red room with all the evil inside. So, and of course, the, the interesting Hobbit Hall yeah, for the Hobbits. <laughs> and we will have in, uh, in two weeks a very nice uh, party room 
for in uh, Middle Earth style that we can have uh, big parties uh, in with a nice Middle Earth table round table with 1.80 meters uh, diameter a one meter uh, large gold ring over it and with a fireplace with a nice old looking uh, um, bench or a bar, a bar is it a bar where, where you can have a drink and with a flipper of stern with dartboard and the, the dance floor so a very nice party room Wow! Wow! Do you do you see yourself hosting events uh, at the museum? Is 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 sort of a larger gathering something that you'd like to see happen at the museum? Yes, likely now we have the opening ceremony event. We will have more than one hundred guests, and for the future, in uh, per year, we want to have uh, two big events: one in the um, spring, so in May, in May, and uh, the other one in September. So with uh, events, then we can invite um, uh, artists, uh, or, uh, authors, and uh, um, actors, or other important people, so that uh, the people can book uh, their places for the big event with this museum, with all this and interesting people, and that will be nice uh, meetings here, of course. Oh, that's fantastic. Wow, very neat. Well, you know, this is a, a remarkable undertaking that you have done. I know it's been something that you have invested much of yourself in. I mean, I've been very interested to see the pictures that you've posted on your Facebook site, not only of the uh, of the finished product, but of all of the work that's gone into the into the project. I know this is something you've been working on for a long time, and uh, it is really exciting to see this uh, really coming together and coming towards opening. You must be just delighted about that yeah, yeah. Uh, again I, I don't know what, what to say uh, um, it is a, a big a big story five years of my life I invested in in this dream because it is a big dream to make such a, a very beautiful project with uh, many nice guys around me who helped me to support me because uh, this project you cannot make alone so you need other friends uh, who are always also a little bit um, crazy about <laughs> uh, of middle earth and help you and uh, support you and uh, it was a very big uh, experience the last 5 years and uh, now we come to an end of uh, the realization and then we will have now I hope many years uh, that we can uh, enjoy it, uh, our, our power that we put into the project. And um, I hope we will have now really a good uh, harvest of that, what we, uh, what we have done. Oh, that that is wonderful. Well, I definitely recommend to you know any of my listeners who are, you know are over in Europe to to you know to visit your website and to uh, see if they can book a tour because this uh, really sounds like a spectacular opportunity. Thank you so much for sharing this with us today. Yeah, it was a nice pleasure for me too. Okay, very good. Thanks very much. Thank you, Corey. Okay, if you'd like more information about the Greisinger Museum, you should look at his website, www.gmec.ch, or look him up on Facebook. He also has a lot of uh, pictures and videos up on Facebook. Well, as I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, uh, you know, this conversation really kind of got me thinking. I was thinking in particular about the relationship between the familiar and the fantastic. 
Yeah, and one of the things, of course, that people always talk about with fantasy is they think about fantasy as escapist literature. And of course, normally when they talk that way, they mean it as an insult. And of course, those of you who know Tolkien's essay on fairy stories know that he really, you know, addressed this subject and engaged with it. Um, and I talked about it quite a bit way back in the first podcast episode I ever posted, my uh, How to Read Tolkien and Why episode. Um, but, uh, you know, one of the one of the things that I think is certainly clear is that Tolkien's works, especially The Lord of the Rings, um, function really well as escape. It is a fantasy world in which people do immerse themselves imaginatively and often long to immerse themselves in fact. But what really kind of strikes me, you know, thinking about the accusations that people make about escapism and, and, and the discomfort that many people have with that idea and the way in which you know, these desires on the part of Tolkien fans seem almost to justify them, or at least to, to, to give fuel to, those, to, to the people who are uneasy with this kind of escapism. But something that really struck me as I was thinking about this is that one of the other things that people always talk that critics of Tolkien often cite when they read the books, which is, of course, not always, but when they do, one of the things that critics of Tolkien's uh, complain about a lot is that Tolkien's writing is so full of landscape description. You know, you've got these long, long descriptions of the countryside that people are traveling through, which a lot of people find simply boring. Um, now, you know, I'm not going to comment on I don't myself find it boring, and I think it is really important and has a really important function. But what I really want to point out about it today is that the landscape itself that Tolkien describes is rarely fantastic in itself. That is to say, the countryside that he spends so long describing such a large percentage of the entire narrative time of The Lord of the Rings is perfectly normal, mundane landscape. The kinds of plants and animals that you would see, you know, sort of walking in the English countryside. Um, you know, that is to say, there, you know, there are some fantasy worlds in which the very plants and animals that you meet are strange and alien and different. That's not the case in Tolkien. There are, of course, things out there which are different. Um, you know, you might be walking through uh, a perfectly normal-looking countryside and find, you know, the ruins of an ancient city, or you might find, uh, you know, uh, it's, you know, some kind of you know, like the, the eagles or the wargs as Bilbo found in the wild, but you won't, um, but you won't find that the land itself is fundamentally different from our land, from our world. I think, for instance, of Ithilien. I was just teaching my Two Towers class in the Mythgard Academy and uh, was really struck by this again in the very long descriptions of the plant life of Ithilien. And again, these are all plants that you would find, uh, you could find in a perfectly normal landscape. But it's within this frame, this this non-fantastical frame, that we encounter the fantasy elements. Um, we Walk through the, you know, we are walked through the Shire by Tolkien, the Shire which looks exactly like the normal English countryside, but in that countryside are living hobbits, right? We uh, go through, you know, some fairly impressive but otherwise relatively normal mountains uh, and rivers and countryside and get to Minas Tirith with its grand mythic history, uh, you know, and its and its long story of decline. You know, you might come across, if you're fortunate, the hidden land of Lorien, you know, where an even more ancient peace and beauty still live and where you cross the threshold of a magical world, which is 
in many ways quite different from our own, but again set within the middle of a world of the land which is very much like ours. Now, I think that this juxtaposition between the mundane surroundings and these fantasy locations and, and, and you know, these little sort of pockets of fairy that you go into in Tolkien... And I think that this element uh, is very little appreciated by the critics of fantasy. Again, when people think about fantasy as pure escapism, as avoiding the real world, they're missing this relationship, the way in which Tolkien's work especially really insists on relating the fantasy elements to our world. I think of the language that Tolkien used in On Fairy Stories, where he said that basically when people are complaining about escapism, it is as if they are, uh, they are accusing people of being deserters. Um, you know, he says they are mistaking the flight of the fugitive uh, for the escape of the prisoner. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's, not, it's not running away from reality. It is encountering within the context of a reality very much like ours these, these other things. You know, and it's, it's in this way tied to refreshment and recovery. Again, another idea he talks about in On Fairy Stories. That is a way to induce us to look at the world around us in a new way. In short, Tolkien's landscape, his fantasy landscape, squarely engages our world. We never really leave that frame. And through this, Tolkien invites, almost insists, upon applicability of the fantasy story that he's telling back to our own world. To immerse ourselves in Tolkien and his secondary world is not to avoid the real world, but to be better equipped to engage it. Well, anyway, I look forward to seeing the Greisinger Museum someday. I love the idea. It strikes me as very much in the spirit of Tolkien, that kind of fantasy landscape set in the middle of our world to which we can escape and return refreshed. If you make it to Switzerland, I encourage you to look it up. It would be wonderful to visit. My thanks to Baron Greisinger for the interview, and to my listeners, as always, thanks for listening, and Godspeed.